does Saquon Barkley actually have leverage in his contract impasse with the New York Giants? Why has the running back position devalued over the years? We're going to talk about all that and more coming up next with special guest Emery Hunt of Football Game Plan and CBS Sports here on the Locked on Giants podcast. You are Locked on Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. I'm your host, Patricia Chena. Welcome in. As always, we are continuing our coverage of the New York Giants, even though it's the dead period of the NFL calendar where there's not a whole lot to talk about. But on today's show, we do have something to talk about, some interesting perspectives with our special guests, and that is Emery Hunt, a football game plan and CBS sports good friend. We go back a long ways. And first off, Emery, let me first welcome you to the podcast. Glad to be on a podcast as always, Patty. Thank you again for having me on. Always, always, my friend. All right. So before we get into what we're going to cover today, Emery, I want to get the, the listeners a little bit of a background. So you put out a tweet a, about a couple weeks ago in which you expressed an, an opinion that is going to be our lead question today. And when I saw that, my first inclination was to, to tweet back at you and say, dude, what the heck are you talking about? But I didn't. And I waited until I saw you at the Giants mandatory minicamp. And you and I had quite the discussion. And I said, you know what? This would make for a good podcast segment because it's a different perspective, which, you know, by the way, you always do such a great job of giving different perspectives. And so, folks, here we are. Emery is going to tell us these perspectives. And and the big question, uh, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, you can see the first bullet point on our screen. Why does Saquon Barkley actually have leverage? Emery, tell us why you think Barkley in his contract impasse with the New York Giants has leverage. You know, I'm glad you asked that question, Patty, because I feel like when people people are so emotionally invested in in, in their teams, their you know, in their fandom, but I feel like a lot of the fandom starts to bleed over into how we cover sports. And I feel like the unique perspective I bring is that because I cover all 32 teams and the different football leagues is out there, I'm not emotionally attached to anything. So I can kind of see it for what it is and kind of say how I feel and why I feel that way and lay it out that way. So when I put out the tweet about Saquon actually has leverage, obviously the emotionally invested folks will be like, no, he doesn't. This is this, that, and the third, right? But for me, it was like, well, let's take a step back and let's analyze it. You know, when you think about Saquon's fit for this team, he does have leverage. And I go back to the offseason, the beginning of the offseason. After, you know, uh, when this offseason period started, this was before the draft. It was like, okay, everybody's equal. You know, the Giants coming off a season where they made the playoffs. They're they feeling good vibes. They have some contract questions with Saquon, with Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence. And everybody was at the equal equivalent level. And so I was like, okay, we'll see who signs first, and then we'll try to judge leverage from there. When Daniel Jones signed first, to me, that was like the biggest blow to Saquon. I was like, okay, well, Saquon doesn't have leverage. Daniel Jones signed first, which means they're going to franchise Saquon. 
Saquon doesn't have leverage, so he's going to have to take whatever he can probably get from the Giants. And then as we move forward, we saw them work out a deal with Dexter Lawrence. So I was like, okay, now Dexter Lawrence signed. Some people may have viewed that signing as, well, Saquon further lost leverage, but I thought that was a situation where he actually regained leverage back because when you sign Daniel Jones and you sign Dexter Lawrence, you're coming off a very good draft. You're coming off a very solid free agent period where you have some great guys that's coming into this program. There's a ton of excitement coming into this season, right? A lot of optimism. So that's why Saquon has leverage because the best part about that is that you're kind of already in your head thinking, oh, we're going to have, we got Daniel Jones back. We got Dexter Lawrence back. Uh, we drafted this guy. We drafted that guy. We signed this free agent. We got Saquon in the mix in the backfield. You kind of already rubber stamp Saquon into the mix, right? But Saquon is like, hold on. Now I have the leverage. I'm going to hold out. So it's like, oh, man. And now everyone starts to think, well, they can't have the same success they had last year without Saquon. Can they? And that's where Saquon now has them, you know, uh, by the by the you know what. And so what's funny is that after we talk, what happened? The reports came out that the Giants came back to the table and put the the original offer back on the table for Saquon. Because I remember telling you there at practice that both sides know who has the leverage and therefore something's going to probably get done before the season starts or before July 17th. And I know a lot of people was like, well, Le'Veon Bell held out. You know, he's going to hold out. Saquon's going to hold out the whole season. That's not good for him. It's not good for anybody if, they, if he holds out the whole season because you lose a year of your football playing career. But also for Saquon, he doesn't have to hold out the whole season. It won't take that long. And you look at the first six games of the year, you got uh, Dallas, Arizona, <laughs> San Francisco, Miami, Seattle, Buffalo. Saquon's impact will be felt in them first six games if he chooses to do that. Um, and and when I threw out this Emmett Smith, you know, analogy, some people took you know offense to that, but this was my point about Emmett Smith having that leverage in '93. They were coming off the Super Bowl. Everything he kind of always already rubber stamped everything for for '93. Oh, they got Aikman, they got Irvin, Novacek, you know, Emmett Smith coming back. Emmett Smith like, hold on, nah, I, my money not right. And so he set out those first two games. They lost those first two games. Jerry Jones came back with the deal and Emmitt Smith signed and they went on to win a Super Bowl. So my thing is Saquon has the leverage for this specific team, you know, and the Le'Veon Bell thing didn't work because you have Big Ben Roethlisberger. You have Antonio Brown that was non crazy and in his prime. You have a, a Juju Smith Schuster that went for 1400 yards that year. You drafted James Conner, who gave you 900 something yards Jalen Samuel behind him gave you about a good 1600. So they had options. They had three Pro Bowl offensive linemen up front. So Le'Veon Bell situation, he was a cog in a wheel. Saquon is the wheel. And so unless you got a big Ben back there at quarterback, unless you got an Antonio Brown and a Juju Smith Schuster and three Pro Bowl offensive linemen up front, you don't have the same situation as Le'Veon Bell. So you take Saquon out this equation, this offense. And the Giants, who were just nine and eight, it wasn't like they were 13 and four. They were nine and eight. And they had to come back in a lot of games. A lot of times those comebacks were spawned by a play Saquon Barkley made. So for me, 
for this particular team and what he means to this situation is just like Derrick Henry has leverage in Tennessee. Saquon has leverage for the Giants. It's not like a situation where DeAndre Swift had leverage or Josh Jacobs. I don't think he has leverage out there with the Raiders, you know, because the Raiders have Devontae Adams. I hope they keep uh, Hunter Renfro. They have you know good options. You have a, a healthy Jimmy Garoppolo, Garoppolo for whatever for whatever that's worth, right? So they have some pieces they could work with. Um, the Giants, Tennessee, they don't have that particular luxury, in my opinion. So that's why Saquon's unique in his uh, position here with the Giants. All right. So let me play devil's advocate here. All right. It, I, I get your what you're saying. Saquon in the past. You can make the argument that he had he was the Odell Beckham Jr. He was strictly the offense. Okay. The Giants this past offseason added Darren Waller. They added Paris Campbell. They drafted Jalen Hyatt. Um, Daniel Bellinger is coming back. Darius Slate is coming back. They have playmakers, better playmakers on paper at any rate. I mean, obviously everything is on paper at this point, but it's not the same team it was last year or the year before. So that and there's also potentially talk that Saquon's role may be reduced just a little bit because, you know, going towards more of a committee to keep the guy fresh because he's been taking 80 percent or higher of the snaps. And, you know, he's been getting banged up. He was banged up last year. So all that being said, since this is not the same team and again, it's on paper, I understand that. Don't you think that maybe. You know, in the terms of the leverage, the Giants have a slight advantage over Saquon in these talks? Mm, I, I don't think so, Patty. Let's run down a list of things that you just did. Waller is an upgrade over what they had last year. Agree? Mm-hmm. Right? That's, a, that's an upgrade. Paris Campbell, tremendous talent. How much has he been on the field? So it's still a question mark whether or not he could be out there for a full 17-game season. Um, Jalen Hyatt, tremendous potential. Third round pick. And again, I'm team, doesn't matter where you pick, as long as you go out there and play, but we're not talking about someone that's a first round pick, right? We're talking about someone that still has to, you know, work his way through the depth chart to get on the field. Because the Giants did a good job in bringing in a Paris Campbell, bringing in a Jameson Crowder, bringing in a, a, you know, a Jeff Smith from the Jets or whatnot, still having Isaiah Hodgins coming back, still having Colin Johnson coming back from injury. So, it's not a clear path for for Hyatt and Hyatt in this scenario almost essentially is uh not in a negative way but he's kind of like a one-dimensional player right he's kind of like okay he's going to be the higher gun to go take the top off the defense you bring back Darius Shepard as well but we're talking about Paris Campbell Darius Shepard Jalen Hyatt um you know we're essentially talking about twos and threes so when you ask yourself, who's the number one threat? Who's taking the coverage away from Waller? Because right now, it sounds like teams can go and say, okay, we'll just double Waller and trust our personnel at corner to match up versus Slayton, Hyatt, Paris Campbell. We we, we trust our corners against your what is your number one or number two versus our number ones out there at corner. So you still need a Saquon to alleviate a lot of that because where the giants have the advantage with the Saquon back there, you don't have anybody on defense that can cover Saquon. So you have to really designate extra coverage towards Saquon, which now leaves Waller in a more advantageous situation, which now gives Hyatt 
and Slayton with their speed, a lot more room to operate, you know, because it alleviates a lot of that pressure off the defense um, uh, from the defensive coverage. So with the Saquon, you still have that. Yes, you have guys that can, you know, either run and or catch the ball. We love the rookie uh, out of Oklahoma. He's tremendous. He doesn't have the explosive speed Saquon has. You love the explosive speed Breida has, but he doesn't have the ability as a receiver that Saquon has. You love the burst that Brightwell has, but he doesn't have the agility that Saquon has. So with Saquon, you kind of get all three of those guys in one. So you're going to be overworking your system to replicate what one guy brings. And, and remember this play in practice we brought up where you saw it was they were doing seven on seven. And you had a running back in there. It was Jay Sean Corbin. You know, I'm a big fan of Jay Sean Corbin, mm-hmm. right? So you had Jay Sean Corbin back there with the ones. And he ran a flat route. And they ran a little slant, flat combination. So with this time, instead of the receiver running the, the flat, um, the, had the running back run the flat and the receiver run the slant behind it. But you saw the linebacker sit there in that window, force Daniel Jones to hold it you know, for a little bit longer and go to another option or wait to that slant cross the second window. Because ideally, you want to hit that slant in that first window where he's at his momentum. So he's catching it. And he's going to explode past the DB. But Jones couldn't get it there because the linebacker was still sitting right there, right? Had that been Saquon Barkley running the flat route, that linebacker would have got out that window quickly because he felt as though I can, you know, slow play Corbin. I can't slow play a guy like Saquon. And even though Saquon wouldn't have touched the ball in that situation, he would have opened up that passing window. And that's the difference between a Saquon versus anybody else you have on the roster. And the thing is, when you have you know, if the Giants had a DeAndre Hopkins, right, then maybe Saquon doesn't have as much because now you can say, okay, the Giants have a bona fide number one, and that'll open up things for Wilder, which will then open up things for these other guys underneath. Um, but Saquon is that number one uh, option, whether it's, you know, the option in the run game or a ghost option in the pass game where he's taking away coverage and opening things up for everyone else. And that's the, 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 benefit of having a Saquon because you don't need three guys to do one thing. You have a guy back there that can do all of those things and can do it really well. And if we're keeping it completely honest, you know, when Daniel Jones had to throw a lot, it it wasn't advantageous to the offense as a whole. It was more advantageous to the defense because we know his pocket presence isn't what it should be. So he tends to take a lot of hits. The ball comes out late. Um and, and outside of the Minnesota game and the Indianapolis game that kind of held true where you know hey if you stop Saquon I think the first team to put everybody on notice was the Detroit Lions when they really shut down they were hell bent on stopping the run and it threw everything off offensively now throughout the course of the season teams start to adjust a little bit more they didn't go as aggressive as Detroit did but it forced Daniel Jones to beat them throwing the football and someone will say maybe they didn't have to receive their options that's fair but if you take Saquon away, still similar receiver options out there, sans Darren Waller, which is why Waller is so important and what he plans to bring to this offense if Saquon is out there because those two out there makes a big difference. Compelling uh, argument there. You always bring it, Henry. I love it. I mean, you know, people are going to disagree with you. They're going to they're going to see things in a different perspective, but. There is no doubt that Saquon is a unique talent. And on that note, coming up in the next segment, 
We're going to talk about the running back position in general and why it has somehow decreased in value and in importance. That was another question that, that I know you and I talked about on the terrace. So that's coming out, folks, right after this. Hey, Giant fans, get in on all the sports action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if their first bet does not win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash on today and sign up to claim your no-sweat first bet. FanDuel offers great promotions, a safe and secure app to set your bets, and instant payments. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. All right, Giant fans, welcome back to the Locked on Giants podcast. You got Patricia Trainer here. And special guest today is Emery Hunt of Football Game Plan. He is also with CBS Sports, longtime friend uh, and colleague. And uh, the man does his homework, ladies and gentlemen. You might not always agree with him, but he does his homework. And he's dropping some really different perspectives here on the Locked on Giants podcast. So I'm so happy to have him on the program. I'm happy to have you guys tuning in to the program as we continue to bring you coverage of the New York Giants during the downtime. And Emery, in the last segment, you know, we talked about how valuable Saquon is because he can do so much. And here's the million dollar question. And I asked this also of Brandon Jacobs, who was at the minicamp practice. And, you know, everybody has a different perspective. But why, given that, you know, you have the Saquons of the world, the Derrick Henrys of the world, the Josh Jacobs, why has the running back position seemed to have devalued over the years? Is, is it just because the league has gone to a passing game? Is it because, you know, running backs aren't as durable? What do you think is behind the decrease in the value of running backs? I don't necessarily think it's the decrease in value more so than it's a self-fulfilling prophecy put out by those that have something to sell, right? If you're, if your job is selling analytics, then you can create things to make your argument, right? Hey, you don't need to throw on first down. You don't need to throw on third down. You need to run on first down. You need to like, you can create any type of position you want to make and take because you have something to sell. But the running back position has always been in vogue. What should be devalued is paying mediocre quarterbacks money because then you could have money to pay your playmakers, right? You could have money to pay your running backs. You could have money to pay, you know, your, your receivers or your tight ends or any other position, right? Stop paying guys $50 million to, that that really should be getting paid $10 million. Now, I'm not going to knock the guys for making $50 million. I'm just saying their production um, is not, justified in that cost but when you think about someone that carries a ball every play um that can do a dynamic thing with the football in their hands we just talked about in the last segment saquon barkley and how he can affect the game by not even touching the ball to me that's an impact player right and so if you have someone like that yes there's a difference between you know saquon barkley and you know an alfred morris right yes you can get productivity from an alfred morris but Saquon would probably do that much more efficiently. You know what I'm saying? And if you're backed up on your own 10-yard line, you have a greater chance of hitting a 90-yard touchdown run with, you know, Saquon Barkley than you do with Alfred Morris. Then also you do trying to throw a ball 90-something yards down the field or catch a run with the receiver. So it depends on the type of back. And if people kept, for, for years, people kept telling themselves, 
Don't take running backs in the first round. You can find talent elsewhere. You can find talent elsewhere. Yes, that's true because you only get seven rounds. But if you keep telling yourself don't draft guys in the first round and you don't take them in the first round and a guy that goes in round two, Nick Chubb, goes off, you're like, well, see, you didn't have to take him around. You didn't have to take Saquon second overall. You could have took Nick Chubb. Well, Nick Chubb should have won the first round. Like, you you don't wait to take great players. Uh, and that's the thing. So I feel like people are just talking themselves into what they want to see. Is no different than black quarterbacks. At first, it was like, well, they can't play the position. Well, they can't do this. Well, you got to get someone that's, uh, you know, a, a classic drop back passer, all those uh, codes that they used to use. So if you don't draft black quarterbacks and you don't play black quarterbacks, then what you start to hear from folks that cover the game and fans that, well, you can't win with those type of quarterbacks. You can't win a Super Bowl with those type of quarterbacks. Well, they never were given the opportunity for, what, 60 years to play the position? So, of course, the numbers are going to be skewed toward your opinion. But in reality, we know that was just a farce. And so I feel like we're seeing the same things with the running back position. You take a Chris Johnson in round one. You take a Nick Chubb in round one. Derrick Henry should have gone in round one. Delvin Cook should have gone in round one. And so when you think about those type of guys and what they bring to the table, we're talking about game breakers. Game breakers at any position on either side of the ball, always supposed to go in round one because they can help you win faster. But I feel like there's no devaluing the position. It's just about making sure you get to, the game has evolved to where you better have a back that can not only catch the ball downfield as a threat as in a passing game, but also be competent in pass pro, but you better have the ability to make a guy miss. That's where the game has evolved. So we're looking for a different type of back as opposed to the, old school, you know, guy that, that needed 25 carries. These backs now are not even built to carry the ball 25 times a game because they hadn't had to do it in middle school, high school, or college. It's always nowadays because of the passing game, it's always become a committee. So these guys are actually used to playing in the committee, but when you find that special talent that is able to be a game breaker with the ball on either side of the offense, um, run game or passing game, that's the ones you go in round one. Those guys have more value than the guy that, you know, probably would have needed 25 carries to get going. You know, yeah, you don't that that that's a that's a misuse of resources. Saquon is never a misuse of resources. Uh, uh, Derrick Henry for what he brings is never a misuse of resources. Adrian Peterson never misuse of resources. So it it all depends. I think people need to focus on the type of back that needs to go in round one, as opposed to saying the entire position you could put anybody back there. Well, there's a significant difference in you know Saquon Barkley. And a Gary Brightwell, no disrespect, uh, back there in the backfield. Okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate again here. So you just, you know, I see what you're saying. But you say quarterbacks, you can't be paying mediocre quarterbacks $50 million a year. So I, I know you were not a fan of the contract that Daniel Jones got. I think, if, I, if and I'm, I apologize if I'm putting words in your mouth, but if I remember correctly, you you thought he was overpaid. But here's here's the point I want to make. The quarterback is touching the ball 100% of the snaps. He's on the field for 100% of the snaps. Saquon Barkley, I think his highest percentage was like 84%. So he's not on the field 100% of the snaps. He's, you know, he's on the field a lot. And then if you look at the percentage of snaps he's on the field, how many is he actually touching the ball, either as a ball carrier, as a receiver, or is he mostly being a decoy? You also look at the fact that the Giants – Thus far, with Saquon in the lineup, 1940 and one, meaning that one guy 
is not going to make the difference, you know, or has not made the difference to, to date. So that all being said, I mean, doesn't it kind of make sense to pay your quarterback a little bit more? I mean, I, again, I know Daniel Jones is coming off the one good year. Um, and you, maybe there are people that are still skeptical about him, but, you know, given how the game is structured, doesn't it make sense kind of what they're doing to, you know, to have prioritized the quarterback and then, you know, look at the running back and the other positions. Well, you said 1940, uh, 1940 and one. So let's look, who's a quarterback in those 1940 and one Daniel. Oh, I so, believe. so it's, so it's not Saquon is 1940. I'm not saying <laughs> the reason why I'm just saying if Saquon is this, you know, super, you know, piece, this, this missing weapon, mm-hmm. I think with, I, I want to say, I think I saw a stat and I should, should have looked it up. But I think it was only a 10-game difference with Daniel as the quarterback having um, – now i got to look it up. I'll, and I will look it up, and I'll post a, a footnote. But, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not dissing Saquon. Please understand mm-hmm. that. I'm just asking, you know, the emphasis on running backs, do they really make that big of a difference is what I'm getting at. Great running backs do. Absolutely. Great running backs. I just laid it out. Like, we just talked about how Saquon affects a game without the ball. Same thing with great running backs. Now, I want to say 25% of Daniel Jones' completions have gone to Saquon Barkley. Um that that speaks volumes. Um and if you're talking about Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones' success last year, what I hated about the whole conversation because it got weird was that they tied his success and Saquon together. When really Saquon was the reason why Daniel Jones had success rushing the football. So if you take Saquon out the and it's almost like in reverse, because um, people love to do this with, with mobile quarterbacks, and it's so factual and true. Anytime you have a mobile quarterback, and when we're talking about mobile, we're talking about a plus one at the at the position. Daniel Jones is a good runner, but he's not a plus one, right? When I'm talking about plus one, I'm talking about the Michael Vicks, the Vince Youngs, the Lamar Jacksons, those guys, right? When you pair a plus one with a a, a running back any running back those running backs going to have their highest yards per carry so then in that scenario the running back uh is you know the quarterback makes the running back right now when you have two greats you have a michael vick and a warwick dunn that's the perfect match go back to 2018 when the giants had the number one overall or second overall pick and i was on a lot of shows I, everyone was asking me who who the if i were the browns who had first and fourth who would I take? I was like, I'm taking Saquon one because I know I can get the best quarterback at four because nobody's going to expect him to be there. And that's Lamar Jackson. Can you imagine Lamar Jackson, Saquon backfield? Like how much easy the run game would be. But now you put this, you look at Lamar, Lamar and Gus um, Edwards. Gus Edwards is not a better back than a Saquon Barkley, but people will use Gus Edwards statistics and say, well, see, you can get a running back anywhere. Um, not, not realizing it's because people is worrying about Lamar Jackson to uh, why he has an advantageous box he's running against. So if you put this in reverse, right, where the running back is making a quarterback, let's go and look at Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. Completely different quarterback when there's no threat of Derrick Henry, right? Daniel Jones, completely different quarterback when there's no threat of Saquon. Both guys are great athletes and runners right ryan Tannehill, obviously former wide receiver at the at a 
power five school uh, at Texas A&M. Daniel Jones has shown that in a straight line, he's a very good runner and can pick him up and put him down. Right. So but if you take away the threat of the running back, there's no this with Daniel Jones. There's no with Daniel Jones or Ryan Tannehill. It's just if the lane is there, he'll take off and run. Right. And he could pick up yards in, in chunks. That's the, you don't have to worry about that with, um, you know, you don't have to worry about him beating you with agility. If you're the backside defender, you can always get him in the pocket, which is why you see him tend to get sacked a lot or even like a Ryan Tannehill, someone like that, even despite those guys being good athletes. So what I'm saying is when you think about the quarterback position, does this guy help you win? And that's the guys that should get paid. I'm not saying everybody should be paid like Patrick Mahomes because not everybody is performing like Patrick Mahomes. But if you really want to reset the financial market and help, you know, keep some of your good players for a long time, stop overpaying these guys. And I don't want to put the blame on one guy, but I kind of feel like this started with Kirk Cousins. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I feel like he kind of set the market and everybody's been, you know, chasing after this. But if, if, it's going to take a, a you know a, a good GM be like you know what man I'm done with this I am not paying a guy that's just out there handing the ball off and throwing you know under seven yards an attempt to, you know paying him like he's Pat Mahomes right or keep pushing up and saying well that's what the market dictates I'm like no I'm the market I dictate what's what's going to happen I'm gonna pay you like you like you're worth or I can go find somebody to give me at least what you're doing. Um, you know, I know there's things outside of that, like continuity, knowing the system, all that good stuff like that. But man, I'm I'm not paying you to produce like a top 10 guy when I know <laughs> that's not you. Um, and that's gonna set the team back because now I can't keep this number one receiver. I can't keep this this third edge rusher that's you know, yeah, he's a third edge rusher, but he's so valuable within our defense because we gotta be able to keep that wave going because we're paying someone that's topped out in terms of potential top money. And this is not a Daniel Jones thing. This is just about a quarterback position thing. We found a way to devalue every other position except the quarterback. When in reality, we've seen, you could find quarterbacks in round six. You could find quarterbacks in round three. You could find quarterbacks in round two. I'm talking about Andy Dalton. I'm talking about Colin Kaepernick. I'm talking about Russell Wilson. I'm talking about Jalen Hurts. I'm talking about Tom Brady. So, why do we put this on the running back position and other positions? Um, just like how they did this for a long time with tackle. Got to get a left tackle. Get, get the tackles high. No. What you should do is get guards in a guard. Uh, you know, focus on those because that's where offense happens. And then you can find other positions elsewhere. But nobody wants to have the conversation. It's about quarterback, left tackle, pass rusher, cornerback. But really, everything matters. It's just about getting elite guys and paying elite guys. And that's my whole basis of my point. It's not a knock on Daniel Jones or knock on Kirk Cousins. It's just when you pay those guys, the expectations for those guys um, rises. And you're kind of asking these guys to do something that they hadn't shown their entire career and they're not going to show. And you're kind of piecemealing things together around them, hoping that it will show. The Vikings are still in what years 30 of Kirk Cousins. Still thinking that if we just add one more piece, one more piece, he'll 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 will finally break through. No, it's not gonna happen because that's not he's reached his ceiling, and you're gonna have to have a great defensive effort to over you know to kind of meet up with him in order to where you can push through. But that's hard to do 
uh, in this salary salary cap era? Ooh, that's a lot to digest, my friend. But again, very thorough. I get your point. Um, and I'll tell you what, if you ever become an NFL GM, I could just see it. you're going to just set the, the, the league on its ear because, you know, with these these approaches and these philosophies you have, which I think are fantastic, by the way. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk Giants in general. We'll wrap things up with your observations and takeaways from the Giants spring. All right, Giant fans, welcome back to the Locked on Giants podcast. I'm Patricia Trainer, your host joined by Emery Hunt of CBS Sports Football Game Plan. And Emery, I, I apologize. Did you have something you wanted to add on that last segment? If I cut you off, I apologize. I forgot to even add Dak Prescott or the quarterbacks that we just saw in, in Washington. Like, they, Terrell Heineke got to the playoffs. We just saw, you know, them win with Sam Howell. You can find quarterbacks anywhere, right? right. But in, in all seriousness, um, I wanted to bring up the, you know, what we're seeing now. If we, we talk about you need five wide receivers, you need – you know, at least four or five tight ends. How about we start doing quarterbacks by by, by committee? We right. saw a team do a great job of that in the XFL. Shout out to Von Hutchins, the director of player personnel uh, for the D.C. Defenders. He worked two quarterbacks in uh, constantly, and the, the head coach, Reggie Barlow, coach of the year, did a great job. Jordan Tiamu was a starter, and with inside the red zone, we started to see Derrick King, the more mobile of the two getting there and do things as well. And we see it a lot of the CFL. There's a short yardage quarterback as long as uh, in, in you know, conjunction with your regular quarterback. That's where we probably should go, you know, especially with the we've seen since COVID, you're going to need a backup quarterback. So your backup better be just as good as your starter are able to do same things that we, we've seen out of the Giants. You know, unfortunately, Tyrod Taylor gets hurt too. Um, so <laughs> you kind of need three. Uh, but you you see where I'm going with this. Like, I feel like the, the, if you build the team out, as opposed to saying, hey, one guy, you're our savior, it you know helps you out in the long run to overcome any type type of inconsistency or injury. Okay. Thank you for adding that on. All right, Emery, let's wrap things up by talking about the Giants. What you were around all spring for the OTAs for the mandatory mini camp. What were some of your takeaways as far as what might be different moving forward? And where are you still concerned about with this roster? The thing I I love about OTAs, mini camps, spring, is that you get to see, get a good feel for athleticism. Um, you get a good feel for speed. You get a good feel for matchups, right? Because we can't get a good feel for offensive line, defensive line, linebackers in terms of the run game because there's no contact. Uh, so what I what I saw from the Giants is one Darren Waller, and I tweeted this out because remember they tell us we can't tweet out. Uh, certain periods during practice. So I had to sit on this until after practice and kind of be cryptic in how I wanted to tweet it out. Cause I don't want also want to give out schematics, right? Cause I, I know, I know X's and O's. And if I tweet something out, I can tweet out directly what I'm seeing. So I don't want to do that to, to, you know, ruin schematics. Right. So I tweeted out Darren Wall is going to be the giants number one option in the passing game. And we've seen this happen. You, we, we kind of saw how this played out after the first practice and throughout subsequent practices, what they have in store for a Darren Waller. And that's all I'll say about that. And also I don't feel like we talk enough about Jameson Crowder 
and what he's going to mean to this offense. So let's just say, for instance, you take out a Richie James and input a Jameson Crowder, a seven-year vet that's been extremely productive for Washington and also for the Jets. I feel like people forgot that this dude was a legit player. Um, he's going to be he's going to be a big part of this offense as well. And you do see defensively, you know, just the length and athleticism. And what's good about this particular session that we're seeing, we know press coverage is, is a big part of Wink Bartendale's defense. You can't see press coverage in, in these mini camp and OTX. You don't have pads on. But what you're seeing, how many times we saw during, you know, mini camp and OTAs, and he just blown coverage, or you rarely saw that, which tells you that these guys that they have on the back end are being able to maintain, you know, their position and lockstep with these receivers, these speedy group of receivers, right? So any catch that we've seen made or any throw that we've seen made has been a, a tight window throw, has been a you know very tough contested catch because there's no space for these guys just to be running free. So that speaks volumes to the uh, defense and what they're doing, but also speaks volumes to the passing game and, you know, forcing the quarterback to make tough throws, forcing his receivers to make tough catches. And you just think that when things start to get physical, they are already well-equipped to handle uh, what we've seen from them, you know, so far. And so I, I like what I'm seeing from an athleticism standpoint. Uh, and we, I said this last summer, I like how we, you know, put stress on the, the defense, I mean, the offense and how they're practicing. There was, and so that's why when we saw last year, the giants cut up the jets in that joint practice is because wink had them guys prepared, you know, for this opportunity. So when they played someone else, they, they were used to the length. They were used to athletics to the use of, you know, physical, and they were able to have a great day against the jets defense, which we now know to have, you know, to have been a very good defense last year. So because of how they practice, I expect similar things for the Giants when they go and face someone else outside of Wink Martindale's defense. And I feel like their defense, once we get the pads on, is going to show you the improvement from year one and year two. But just from an athleticism standpoint, they've already, I think, have gotten better. Yeah. I mean, they can't be any – I don't think they went backwards last year. They've added some additional talent. Still some question marks, still some position battles that need to be sorted out. Where's your biggest concern um, with this team going into summer training camp? Well, that's the thing. Once the summer hit, now my biggest concern is uh, what can we get from the linebacker position? On the edges, they're fine. You know, they're, they're you know, a healthy Aziz Ojolari, um, a healthy Ellerson Smith to go along with the, the growth and continued development of uh, Kayvon Thibodeau and, and what we see up front. That's a given. But just the inside backer position it may seem insignificant to some, but when you have a guy or guys, it shows up and it makes a difference. And it also enhances the defense. It takes away that. It, you saw the Ravens defense go from what they were with Patrick Queen to as soon as they dropped Roquan Smith there, instant dividends and changes everything. It helps make the entire defense better. So have the Giants gotten better, you know, at the inside backer position? Darren Beaver is coming back from injury. Can he regain that spark that he kind of showed us last spring? Uh, the guys that they've added via draft and free agency, can they step in and, and play really well? That's my biggest concern about the defense. I'm not worried about the defensive line. I am not worried about the secondary. I just want to know what can they get from the interior defensive 
uh, second level. And that's going to be the biggest issue for me uh, to watch play out throughout the summer. Cause I feel like this defense, the numbers may not bear it out, but I feel like they played solid as a defense all throughout the season and really kept them in the game. A lot of games. And in some cases won the game for them. So if they can improve that aspect of defense, this defense as a whole, the numbers will start to bear out what I felt like they played like uh, out there on the field. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly uh, an area that I'm, I know I'm curious to see how it plays out. Emery, as always, you never disappoint. My gosh, so much good stuff here. So much stuff to think about, different perspectives. That's what I love about you so much is that you come prepared. You come with your own perspectives and you don't back down. I love that about you, my friend. Absolutely love that. Well, I appreciate you having me on. And again, it's just a a different perspective. And if people zoom out a little bit, they'll kind of understand my thought process and and why I take certain positions the way I do. You know, sometimes when you're involved too much, you don't, you can't see the forest from the trees. But Mm -hmm. if you take a step back, you kind of say, all right, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. Like I just kind of randomly ran through all those quarterbacks that went outside the first round. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. and that have been very productive. And so it's just, it shows you that, you know, the, the, how great of talent there is out there, but also you can find talent, anywhere so you don't have to say don't draft this you know position in the first round like you can say that about every position if anything if you want to be keep it 100 you should draft kickers and punters in the first round because they affect the game more often than than people give them credit for true very true special teams one-third of the game so all right folks that is going to do it for this edition of the locked on giants podcast keep it here all week we're going to have more special guests on this program. We're going to have Coach Gene Clemens, former NFL executive Jeff Diamond's going to join us. Um, we're going to have Bobby Skinner of Talking Giants. He's going to join us. Next week, Bina Kimes of ESPN will be on the podcast. So much more coming up here on the Locked on Giants podcast. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day or if watching on YouTube, your first watch of the day. For Emery Hunt, I'm Patricia Trainer. We will see you tomorrow, Giant fans.